Thank you, Chris. It's glad to, to be here this morning. Happy Father's Day to you online as well as in person this morning. Let's give it up for our fathers this morning. Yes. Fatherhood is something that I'm very passionate about. Fatherhood is something not recognized often in our world today. Um, Fatherhood is, gives us a glimpse of the, should give us a glimpse at least, of the reflection of God, our Father, Himself. The nature of God Himself as provider, protector, the one who disciplines those that He loves, the one we run to, the one who gives us wise counsel and ultimately never abandons us and is full of grace. This is what fatherhood looks like. And the qualities of this kind of fatherhood are often minimized in our world today. While other qualities of men are held in high regard, such qualities that the world holds in high regard as money or fame or your job or your skill set, your education. And sometimes we as fathers can miss God's call on our lives, God's call to disciple our children and to raise them up in this world and send them out on mission like arrows to be shot into the world. So NWBC, before we get started this morning, let us not forget what our purpose is on this earth. And we look this morning to the story of Jonah, chapter 2, and it reminds us that the gospel... It gives us a humble confidence, humility to know that we need God. We cannot do it alone. Yet confidence that our God is a gracious and loving God and loves us abundantly even when we don't deserve it. So today we look to the book of Jonah Chapter 1 was last week. It was a lot of fun to preach that sermon. Chapter 2 is, is just as well. But last week we looked at the wrong way Jonah, the throw me overboard Jonah, the no-go Jonah, right? As the word of God came to Jonah in chapter 1, God told him to go to this wicked place, Nineveh, this pagan city full of wickedness, and to call out against it. Yet Jonah ran from the presence of God. And on the while he was running in the opposite direction, the Lord chased after him. Amen? Amen. And the Lord will accomplish all that he desires. And he goes after Jonah, and he hurls this storm uh, uh, after Jonah, he, and Jonah says, throw me overboard. And he tells the sailors to throw him overboard, and they throw him into the sea. Why? Because Jonah would rather die 
then preach to the Ninevites. And as the scene calms, the Lord appoints a fish to swallow Jonah. And that's where we find ourselves in this story this morning. Last week, we looked at the God who pursues. This week, we look at the God who saves. Amen? We are are all in need of some salvation. It has been 15 weeks for some of you not to be in service with us as the gathering of believers comes together. 15 weeks. And we do not want to forget you. We love you, and we're thankful that you're still tuning in with us. But call somebody this week that you haven't seen in a while, church, and remind them that our God saves. Amen? All right, so let's look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple." Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Father's Day. We thank you for our men in this church and myself, Father, who are fathers. Father, we find ourselves like Jonah, sometimes running from your presence and yet your grace pursues us even at the bottomless pit. Father, give us the strength to call out to you. Father, help us to be a church that reminds one another that our God saves, that he pursues us even in our sin and rebellion that we must call out to him for salvation. Lord, help us to remember that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
God reaches down into the depths of the sea to save Jonah. I found this video a while back when we were in Thailand, and, and it gives us a picture of God reaching down into the depths of our circumstance of where we are in the pit that we cannot get out of and saving us. I want you to check this video out. It, it impacted my life when I saw it. A man fell in a hole. He fell in a hole and he couldn't get out. A traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither in fact did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength, and in the hole he remained. something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free. This man lowered himself into the earth, into the pit. He took hold of the man. himself out, was saved. It's just a good picture of the gospel, right? We're stuck in this hole because of sin. We know that we deserve punishment for our sin, and yet God loved us so much that he would be willing to come from heaven, be born as a baby, 
take on flesh and live a life of a servant. Not just any servant, but die a death on a cross, a sinner's death in our place. This is what Jesus did, and he takes us to be with him forever. That he brings about salvation to us. This is the story of Jonah. Jonah goes down, 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 away from the presence of God. He still would not call out to God even after all of these things happened. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then verse 1 of chapter 2. Then, only after three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Jonah's in the complete darkness. He has nowhere to move. You know, you know when you've, you're such in a tight place that your, your arm falls asleep, his, his limbs are falling asleep. I'm sure it smelled pretty good in the fish, right? Gastric juices probably burning his skin. He's writhing in pain for three days and three nights. You think this dude is a little stubborn? I don't know anyone like that, right? I'm not turning from the Lord. He's still running. It's interesting to note here, God is not punishing Jonah for his rebellion, he is actually appointing the fish to what? do what? To bring him back. God brings the storms in our life because he loves us and he pursues us and he wants us to come back to him. Last week we said, we are Jonah. And this is true. Some of us, like Jonah, Know the word of God. We're very religious. We come to church every week. But in one area of our life or another, we say to God, no. For some of us, it is the core of who we are. For Jonah, he would not go and preach to a certain people. Some of us are willing to obey God in every area of our life except one. For some of us, that area is romance, either sex outside of marriage or pornography, having a boyfriend and girlfriend that does not believe in God. Some of us is in the area of money, Maybe it's the job that we just can't turn off and begins to affect our family. And for some of us, like Jonah, God has called us to engage in the mission of God in a specific area. Maybe it's our job or a neighborhood. And we've neglected to be a light of the gospel in that place. 
But the good news is, and this story tells us, the good news is God is not done with you. He is not done with me. Some of us, it takes a while. And maybe certain circumstances that God brings in our path to remind us that God is the one who saves and he is the one who sins. The Holy Spirit moved Jonah to proclaim this psalm of thanksgiving as a hope, as a comfort, as an encouragement for us, other Jonas. And so I hope that you see this as encouragement for you to remind you that there is no depth at which God cannot rescue you. Verse 1 says this, And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your temple. The waters close in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Summarize this in, in one point for you this morning. This is point number one. It's this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 12 says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel 2, 32 tells us, of this salvation, and that it is for all nations, any race, any people, even the Ninevites, even Jonah, who is running from the presence of God. It is interesting, God shows the same grace to the Ninevites that he has shown to Jonah. He won't recognize that in chapter 4. He doesn't understand that. But God showed the same grace as we'll see in chapter 4. God is a God of grace. You are never too far from God's grace. Jonah himself called out to God. There's no indication here that Jonah prayed during the storm, all these things that have happened, even in the sea when he gets tossed into the sea. But now three days at the bottom of the sea, he cries to God for help. Let me ask you these questions. Are you? He cries for help out of distress. Are you distressed? Are you tired? Are you broken? Are you COVID 19 out? I am. I'll tell you that. God wants you to call out to Him. You know what? God may be teaching you how to pray. 
amidst the storm. He may be calling his church to call out to him. I know God is teaching your pastor how to pray during this. 34 years ago, my father was stressed out. He was in distress in his job in New York City. He had reached a max point of his life of stress and chaos in his workplace. Outwardly, he was a very successful man, CEO of a company, large salary. And yet he knew that his life was meaningless without God. He knew that something needed to change. And so he went down in the elevator from his office and he walked across the street in New York City into a church that he had never been into before. He walked into the church. They have those really fancy churches with really high architecture. Not much worship going on in there, but they have nice architecture and they look nice. He walked across the street, walked into the church, and he kneeled down. He didn't know a whole lot about the gospel. He didn't know a whole lot about God. He didn't know a whole lot of how to read the Bible, how to, how to do church. And he said, Lord, save me. I need your help. And at that moment, he began a journey with the Lord. He began a journey of becoming a disciple of Christ, which led to sharing with his son the ways of God. That's why I stand here this morning. The Lord answered him when he called, and he answered Jonah. Jonah says in verse 2 that he's in the belly of Sheol. He cried, and you heard my voice. Sheol is a transliteration from the Hebrew word death, or the grave, the afterlife. Jonah is in a hopeless situation. Verse 3 says, For you cast me into the deep, in the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Can I get in your business for a moment? Do you have rivers you can't get over? Do you have mountains you can't tunnel through? Is your marriage too difficult to repair? Is your financial situation too much to come back from? Is your view of God big enough? Do you believe that God is able to do what no man can do. Because God, he does the impossible. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. Jeremiah prays to the Lord. He says, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. This is what the Lord comes back to him in verse 26 of Jeremiah 32. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Amen? When, when, 
when Mary, a young teenage girl, is visited by the angel and tells her she is with child and the child will be Jesus of the Holy Spirit, she says, how can this be? The angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Jesus talks to the rich young ruler And the rich young ruler isn't able to give up his possessions, the money that he has. He's self-righteous in thinking that he has done enough to gain the salvation from God. God is actually the one who gives salvation to us. He does not, he's unwilling to humble himself. And Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. And the disciples look at one another and says, who can be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The waves are are over me. The billows are too much for me. Yet God is in his sovereignty, is in control of all things. Verse 4, then the Lord, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. You see, God is working to bring about his glory, but he can only receive glory when we call out to him, not when we try to do it on our own. Psalm 50, 15 says this, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. How can we expect God to be glorified if we don't pray and call out to him? God does not answer prayer because of how good we are, but because of how good he is. Verse 5 says this, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. All the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Jonah is contemplating life and even the next life without the presence of God. Jonah describes this as a pit, almost like a prison that he cannot escape from. Think about life and the futility of life without God. Trapped, no way out, Sometimes it takes a tragic event in our life to help us to look at our life in reality and what it is. To see our life without God, COVID-19 has done that for us, right? I hope COVID-19 draws you into deeper relationship and wanting to see and feel the presence of God himself because all the other things have been taken away. But these things, whatever it may be, something happens in your life, they sometimes help you realize the house of cards that we've built our life on 
And when it comes tumbling down, life without God is meaningless. But sometimes it's a slight decline. We don't see it. We, the darkness seeps into our life. But we have very little joy. We crave numbing ourselves. This deadness. Captivated by television. Not the shows per se. They're, they're not that good. But the escape that it gives us. From some of us, it's mindless searches on the internet or scrolling through social media with envy, going, why not me? Or dabbling in pornography, only to wake up one day going, why do I feel dead? Why do I not feel alive? The presence of God, I don't feel it. Where is it? God is trying to wake us up to the reality of life without him. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Arise from the dead and let Christ shine on you. Look up to the Lord and call out. That's what Jonah does. Jonah is celebrating deliverance here before he's even delivered. Because immediately when he knows he cries out to the Lord, the Lord is there. Amen? There is a greater deliverance from our circumstances. It is the deliverance from sin and from death. At the moment Jonah cries out, he realizes, I will look upon the temple of the Lord. I will look in his presence. I will one day be with him again. You think of the story in the Old Testament of Daniel, in Daniel of these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go through this fiery furnace, just like Jonah is in the belly of the whale. And yet, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go, the Lord is going to be with us. He will either deliver us from the furnace or not. But we will not bow down to your idols. Why? Because we are with God. And Jonah in the belly of the whale realizes that he needs God. And when he cries out to God, he realizes that the presence of God is now with him. And what happens in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is there's a fourth person in the fire, some some think that it is Christ who comes to walk in the fire with those three men. Our God is a God who saves when we call out to him. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard the vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What have I vowed? I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is our second point this morning. Salvation is found in no other name. 
Salvation is found in no other name than the Lord himself. Don't wait till your life is wasting away to remember who the Lord is. The world tried to sell you on its thrills and its chills. But in the end, it's like cotton candy. It may taste good, but it has no substance. If you're young today, don't spend your life on the world. Don't get to a place like the prodigal son where you've lost everything or Jonah and you're in the bottom of the sea to cry out to God. Cry out to him today because he is the God who sins and he has a plan for you just like he had a plan for Jonah. And you young people get it right now. God is sending you to the nations. Why? Because you have been equipped and trained in the gospel. Why not live your life for Christ now instead of wasting your life on the world? Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This is the key verse here. In the middle of the book, 24 verses before, 24 verses after. And Jonah gives insight into idolatry and those who have placed idols above God. Remember, salvation is found in no other name. An idol is nothing. Cannot hear, cannot see, cannot speak. And those who have regard for them become like them. And Jonah says here, those who have placed idols above God forfeit their covenantal love. That word in the, in the Hebrew is hesed. It is steadfast love. We can, sometimes it's translated as grace. But it's this covenantal love of God that he will not leave you or forsake you. And yet, Jonah is saying that idolatry causes one to forfeit or forsake the hope of the grace of God in their life. You see, Jonah himself, not sure if he recognizes it or not, we'll get there in a minute, but he himself is in the midst of idolatry. He is placing something above God. Idolatry is not just worship of small wooden statue, but an idol is simply something you love more than God, that you trust in more than God, that you crave more than God. The English word for worship comes from worth-ship. When something has such worth in your life that you couldn't imagine living without it, So you build your whole life in pursuit of it. Martin Luther said this. This is his quote. To whatever we look for any good thing and for refuge in every need, that is what is meant by God. To whatever you give your heart 
and entrust your being, that, I say, is really your God. To what do you look most for good things? What can you not live without? What are you envious of others that have that you don't have? What do you stay up late at night worrying about losing? What are you bitter about having lost? What is the one thing that you say, without that, life is not really even worth living? Where do you go for refuge? What brings the greatest source of comfort to you? And where do you turn when life gets tough? My prayer is that you turn to the Lord. But the reality is that we have all concocted idols in our life. And God begins to take those away so that we will call out to him. Friends, family, your job, shopping, all good things, but we ought not to make them God things. Look at verse 9 with me. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. Jonah praises the Lord for his great deliverance and salvation, and I'm thankful for that. But they're all, but it ought to be a psalm of repentance. And you can tell the difference in the structure between a psalm of thanksgiving and this fits that structure of psalm of thanksgiving and you can tell a difference between the psalm of repentance just listen as i read the psalm from david chapter 51 after he's committed adultery with bathsheba this is a psalm of repentance listen to it have mercy on me O god According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in your inward beating, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. That is a psalm of repentance. Amen? Now listen to what Jonah says. Verse 8. Those people, those who pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. There is an air of self-righteousness in there, isn't there? (laughs) 
maybe just a little bit. It's almost as if he is the tax collector in Jesus' parable. I'm glad I'm not like those idol-worshiping sailors. Little does he know the sailors actually offered sacrifices to God and vows to him. Verse 16 of chapter 1, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Exactly what Jonah says, the sailors, the pagan idolaters, are saying to God why they come in repentance and faith in the one true God. Thanksgiving for God's provision of grace in the past, his mercies, and a pledge of devotion to walk in that grace. Recognizing the gospel is the power to save and the grace to live. We'll see later in the book in in chapter 4 that Jonah has a lot of maturing to do. Praise the Lord that God saves sinners who are not there yet. Amen? Praise him that we don't have it all together when we come to salvation. God begins to teach us the heart of God after our salvation. And God is teaching us all the way through, all the way through this life. And God is teaching Jonah that as well. One more thing. God doesn't save us because we are good or because we are deserving. Jonah definitely is not deserving. He's not good. Even in his salvation cry, he gets it wrong. But we are saved because of the grace of God. This is why what the last words that Jonah says are so powerful. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is the God who saves, not us, not our works, not how good we are, not how much we understand the purposes of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There is no other that can save. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation belongs to the Lord alone. Verse 10, we'll wrap up here. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Jonah has come a long way in the salvific process. God has pursued him, even in the midst of his rebellion. God answers his call for salvation. And provides him a way of escape. This is our third point this morning. The Lord desires for all 
to come to salvation. You see, God is showing through the fish and through God's provision of grace for Jonah that he's not trying to kill Jonah. Some of us think God is going to strike us dead because of our sin. No, he might strike you so that you become kneel down and call out to him. That's a better way to put it. He's not trying to kill Jonah, but he's trying to save Jonah. The Lord desires all to come to salvation. He's not trying to punish you for your sin. He's trying to turn you to the God who saves and show you your need for God. Jonah, God's pursuit of Jonah ends with him calling out to God and the Lord causes the fish not to spit him out in the middle of the sea, but on dry ground. This is, I'm going to read First um, Timothy 2, 3 through 6. This is good, and it is pleasing in the light, in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come into the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. See, God desires to save people. He pursues his church. He pursues people who have gone off the path in fulfilling the mission of God. He also pursues the Ninevites, those who do not know him. This is the story of the battle being waged for God's ambassador to take the message of God to a people who do not know him. It is our struggle. It is our story. God who wants to save wants to also use and send you and me and Jonah. God will accomplish that which he desires. Do you want to take a boat or a fish? Your choice. God does not want to coerce your obedience, but create a desire in your heart. He is the God who pursues in chapter one. In chapter two, he is the God who saves. In chapter 3, we will see he is the God who sins. And in chapter 4, we will learn he is the God of grace. The goal of every sermon is worship. Not to tell you to not be like Jonah. The goal of every lecture is to give information. The goal of every motivational speech is, is to leave with action steps. The goal of a sermon is that you leave overcome with the beauty of who Jesus is and what he did to rescue you because that produces worship. And desire in your heart. That's what God is after in Jonah. 
a desire in his heart to worship this God and to serve God's mission. So I'm going to leave you with two questions this morning. Question number one, are you surrendered? Is God still working on your heart? What you're fleeing and running from the presence of God, don't wait until you're on the bottom of the sea until you're at the bottom of the pit to call out to God. Call out to him today. Question number two, are you engaged in the mission of God? God is stirring you to engage in what he's called you to do. Are you running from the mission of God? Are you fully surrendered? Are you engaged in the mission of God? If you need help with that, I would love to help you. We would love to have community group leaders walk with you to understand what it means to be completely surrendered to the Lord what it means to be engaged in the mission of God.